Hi, guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day for a fantastic interview. And I really mean that. I've got so many gorgeous guests uh, that come from all walks of life. And they all bring something to my show. More importantly, they enrich me and they they reinforce things or at times make me question myself and think, huh, I didn't think about that. And I think today I've got an inkling that this is exactly what will happen because I've got Erica Thomas here with me. Erica is a coach of coaches and she is very much focused on the, on the fitness industry. And normally you would think, come on, a fitness coach, they know it all. They know everything about nutrition, hydration, looking after yourself. Yet the secret killer in the fitness industry is burnout. And you think, what the hell? So today, Erica and I are going to dive a bit more into that. And we will see uh, the impact of trauma in that industry. But more importantly, also um, to see how trauma influences our body. And that really issues can very much get themselves into the tissues and you will end up with maybe rather physical problems um, that where maybe a physical approach can assist in making you realize that there is more to a pain or more to a dysfunction in your body than just a muscle being a bit stretched out of position. So now this is going to be a fantastic interview. Erica, welcome to my show. Thank you so much, Stefan. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> uh, Erica, when did you start being uh, interested in fitness? Were you always like that as, as a child? Uh, well, I will say I was always pretty physically active mm -hmm. as a child. My dad really encouraged that. Uh, I'm the oldest of four kids and uh, the only girl in our family. <laughs> so, um, uh, so I had to keep up and um, or set the pace, one of those two. And so we were exposed to many, many different sports and activities as a kid. So I was always really physically active, but not professionally until um, the late 90s, I would say. It, yeah, it was the late 90s. It's so long, so long ago. <laughs> hey, that was uh, yesterday. Come on, take it right. easy, girl. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, um, I started training in Taekwondo. And um, as a yellow belt, uh, that was when the whole Taibo thing hit. I don't know if you're familiar with Billy Blanks and the Taibo phenomenon hit. I hit am, the but scene. tell us, tell us a bit okay. what about it. So it's the the cardio choreographed cardio version of martial arts. So it was it's a it's a, a fitness version of a martial arts training, right? So it was fantastic at the time because it kind of made martial arts a little more accessible to people who mm. maybe would not have stepped into a martial arts school, mm. um, but they would definitely do a kickboxing class. And at the time, my Taekwondo master wanted somebody to teach those classes for him because he wasn't all that into that. <laughs> and so he sent me to a four hour training, right? Yeah. Four hour workshop to learn how to teach a cardio kickboxing class. Cool. Four hours. 
Um, turns out four hours of training isn't really enough to be able to answer the kind of fitness questions you get as a uh, fitness professional, like quote unquote professional. You're hardly a professional after four hours, right? So I basically <laughs> started uh, started teaching with like 15 minutes basically of experience and uh, went from there. And but I loved that. I loved kickboxing. I loved martial arts. And um, that's where I started. And from there, because I knew I, I couldn't answer the deeper questions that my students were coming to me with, I started collecting other certifications over the years. Nice. Yeah. So that's where it started. And it just kind of grew from that. What made you turn to Taekwondo? Um, well, okay. So my family, my husband, um, we had just gotten out of the military. We were stationed in Germany for three and a half years. I had two young kids mm. and we had one car and we were transferred back to the United States. He got a job in North Carolina and I needed to do something that was going to get me out of the house where I wasn't the mom <laughs> and, you know, the monk, you know, the, the monkey bars where the children climbing on me. I just wanted something for myself. And uh -huh. I, this martial arts school was within walking distance. So I didn't need the car. I could just go. Oh, and beautiful. so, yeah. So it was like a divine timing thing. And, and when I look back over my life and maybe you can do this too, Stefan, there ha are probably moments where you're like, if, I wasn't in that one place at that one time. None of this would have happened. True. Right? True, true, true. Yeah. It was a very stressful time, though, because we, you know, were young family and um, fresh out of the military and really um, didn't have a lot of money, didn't have, I mean, obviously, you know, I couldn't get anywhere if I couldn't walk. And so <laughs> it was, um, it was trying and, uh, and yeah. And so martial arts was like a great outlet. You got to hit things and yell. And I was all about it. I was all about it. <laughs> That's good. The reason I'm asking is, um, I started martial arts, um, because I was the victim of a gang assault. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't think my bruises had healed, uh, by the time I first stepped into a dojo. And I studied jujitsu and and became quite extreme in my studies because I had very much an incentive to become mm -hmm. a very fit and b I was under the impression that the gang leader who I brought behind bars uh, would, on his release, try to kill me. So mm -hmm. I had a very very damn good trauma infused background um, to actually get into the martial arts. So therefore, it's always good to see why actually someone takes on yeah. a certain path. So that was I will say I, I will say this about about that time in my in my life. That was probably the first time where I really was able to practice self discipline in that dojo yeah. up and up until that point. You know, there's very few places in our culture today where you are asked to really be self-disciplined yeah. in any kind of way. Yeah. And at the time, you know, I was 25 at that time. So, you know, I was an adult. I had two kids for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, and 
we could all benefit from a little bit more self-discipline. <laughs> which, right? which surprises me because you said that you were, that your husband was uh, deployed. Were you yes. serving as well at the same no. time? I no. see. So no. I see where the difference is. I thought mm -hmm. that you had both been uh, mm -hmm. working and been deployed in the military. Cool. So it's interesting. So he had the discipline. Mm -hmm. Was there not a flow-on effect on, on, on oh, his gosh. life? Oh, gosh. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I had to ask. Come on, come on. <laughs> okay, okay, oh, okay. No. Okay, okay. Let's stop that line of questioning here, Your Honor. <laughs> no, that's cool. But we are all young and we are stupid. And it's interesting that you say, with hindsight, I needed that discipline. Mm -hmm. And it, that is indeed what what, uh, what a traditional martial art uh, training provides you with. Indeed. Yes. Oh, and it's beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. So there you were, Taekwondo, and then immediately, oh, by the way, you're teaching tonight. Yes. Oh, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So fantastic. So you started accumulating the letters yeah. in front and behind your name. Uh, yes. How did that continue, that story? Well, okay. So this is not unusual for fitness instructors to collect certifications because we're usually, I mean, people come into this industry from all different angles and not all of them are through like a college or university. A lot of us are coming from outside of that. Like this is, you know, we just love working out. And so why not become an instructor? Why not get paid to do what you love? There's a lot of that. And um, and so you might not have like the educational background that necessarily meets that need. Mm. And so you have to kind of step it up a little bit. Mm. There's that piece. And then there's the piece that, you know, you can only do so much with what you know, and then you have to add on, right? We're, otherwise, we're doing the same thing over and over again. We're, we're offering the same thing. And, and I can only speak to myself, but as an instructor and as a coach, I sometimes got a little bored saying the same things over and over again, right? Even though the people in front of me are different, I'm saying the same thing over and over again. And so I needed ways to refill that well yep. of energy, of knowledge, um, just new ways to do things, um, and like to recharge my creativity, because it takes a lot of creativity to put a class together, to put a workout together, to inspire somebody to change their behavior in a way that isn't, you know, top down approach. Like I'm going to tell you what to do it has to be, you know, inspiring them to make those changes. Right. There's a, there's a lot to that. And so one way to do that is to get more letters after your name, right? There's the, the certified, started with certified personal trainer. And then uh, it, somewhere in there, I got a couple of black belts and then, um, and then added on group fitness after, like years after I was already teaching group fitness, uh, that certification. Um, and then we kind of go into the nutrition side and the health coaching side and trying to get into the behavior change and the more psychology around that. For me, I was experiencing, I got to the point where I was really, really starting to burn out. Several times this happened in across my career. And every time I started to feel that I would just go get another certification. And that kind of, you know, boosted me for a little while. 
but it didn't change anything about the burnout sensation. And then it started to soak into my body and, and, um, and change physiologically. So, so then there was like all kinds of physiological, um, dysfunction coming up. So here I am supposed to be the healthy one in the room, the strongest one in the room in chronic pain all the time, completely exhausted, unable to sleep, um, uh, panic attacks, anxiety attacks, uh, uh, completely dysregulated emotionally. Mm. And, um, but on the surface, when I would step in front of the class, boy, I, I had it together. I had it together. That was like, I was so comfortable being uncomfortable that in that, in that space, it was, I was fine. It was when I was not in that space where it was not fine. Mm. And, um, and I got to the point where I just was like, I might have to quit because my, because I hurt so bad. Like my, Mm. my body was, it was just not good. I was, it was just not a good place to be for sure. And, um, and finally I was just, I had been to several doctors none of them could find anything wrong with me physically because, you know, chronic stress injury like that doesn't show up on a test. <laughs> so true. Is it doesn't show up in a blood test, any, anything like that. And so, um, and I was really struggling because I thought, you know, you know, my personality, I was not living my best life. I was not my best self. I wasn't the best person I could be for my kids. And I was just miserable, just miserable. And I'm like, gosh, this cannot be all there is, (laughs) you know? And um, finally, just accidentally, my husband came home with this magazine, this outdoor magazine, and they had done an article about... um, food cleanses in there. And, um, and I read it and I was like, I'm going to do one of these. I'm going to do like the the hardest looking one, the one that takes 40 days, <laughs> because that's my personality. Stefan was like, if it's not the most challenging, the hardest thing to do, then it's not worth doing. Right. <laughs> A lot of us are like that. <laughs> <laughs> Type A personality. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So, but that, that was the key. That was the first key to me that there was something else going on. And as we know now, we know a lot more now than even back then when this was going on with me, that how the the state of your gut health affects your mental health and vice versa and how tightly those two things are connected. And, um, and when I, when I figured that out, when I, when I found, finally learned that connection between stress and this physiological response in the body, I was like, ding, 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 ding. We have to do more with this. And so I started looking into, um, trauma release exercise, being able to work through the body because stress and trauma is basically written in the tension of our body. Um, so if we don't address the body, we can talk to a therapist all day long, Mm -hmm. but if we don't give it the body a way to release it in some way, it doesn't go anywhere. It stays, (laughs) you can just sit in it and, and, um, marinate in that for, for years. And that's what I was, that's what was going on with me. So a lot of words, sorry. (laughs) No, 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 no. I love the way you you phrase things and they are easily understandable and in a common sense language. They can also be a bit wishy-washy. As doctors, we are not wishy-washy. We try to put you into a nice yeah. little little thing. Um, mm. 
various things. You have got right. an anxiety disorder. You have got fibromyalgia. You have mm -hmm. got whatever. So what labels did you accumulate? Okay. Well, <laughs> I accumulated officially, officially I accumulated that IBS uh -huh. label, right? Uh -huh. So, and then I said, you guys don't know what you're talking about. Like I really had a thing about the doctors that I was visiting um, because the, a couple of them wanted to like remove parts of my body to fix this. So, and if, 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 a, and so if you go to a GI doctor, which, which I did, because that's where the pain is, right? You, you follow the pain. The pain is a symptom. We often don't pay any attention to what's going on in the body unless it hurts. Mm. And then we're like, okay, what part hurts? Let's go to that doctor. Mm. So that's what I did. My, my gut hurt. So I went to the GI doctor, the first one, um, basically spent five minutes with me and said, we'll probably have to take your gallbladder out. And sure. I was like, what? Uh -huh. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you sure that's where we're going to go there first? Like, <laughs> what else, what else well, is there? <laughs> between so you, let's, between yeah. you and me, that bring some money in, you know, the doctor yeah. needs oh, to eat sure. some food too. So therefore, <laughs> right. you know, okay, yes. appendix, okay, already done. Okay, what about gallbladder? Oh, let's take that out. Okay, that's yes. derogatory. My surgical colleagues, please forgive me, forgive me. I work right. with two beautiful surgeons and your gallbladders are just fine. So well, you, they need you, to come out. Yeah, you, you make a good point there, right? We When people specialize in one thing, sometimes that's all the only thing they can see. And if, if you only people, have got a hammer, are, if you only have yeah. got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Exactly. You're so true. Yes. So right. true. And right. I think, in all fairness, let's go though one step back. So we were already a bit derogatory to my own profession, which is actually a bit stupid. <laughs> no. Um, no. <laughs> so the the reality the reality is, I think you did exactly the right thing. You actually went looking for the bad things. You actually, there is the C word, and with that, I mean cancer. Um, mm. There are some very weird things, inflammations yes. of the bowel, uh, where really the, the whole bowel is raw and inflamed and it's nasty. And that absolutely. has, so you need to check for that out. Yes, absolutely. You definitely do. So mm. you have to follow those symptoms to a point. When, when the when they test all the tests when they show you the pictures and there's you know there's nothing there if there's nothing there then and you still have pain we can't just accept the the thing that gets all in your head because that is often the next thing mm. that happens right if so it's that is not true it's not in your head it's not up here you're if you're feeling pain there is something wrong. Your body is trying to speak to you. Right. And unfortunately, it's screaming <laughs> because we haven't heard the whispers mm. up until this point. And so what I would like to do is help people listen to the whispers before it gets to that point and to, to be able to find a, a friendly connection, to reestablish that friendly connection, the communication between the, bo the body and the mind in ways so that you don't have to get there. You don't have to be in so much excruciating pain and not be able to trace it 
to a certain thing. Absolutely. But we all want to know the answer, right? Mm. I mean, we all want to know why. Why is this happening? And um, it would be, I was really disappointed at not having a true diagnosis. I will tell you that. Because it's hard. Absolutely. Yet, that is actually a beautiful starting point. Because you could rephrase that and say, we have given you a warranty of fitness. You will not (laughs) die tomorrow of cancer. You (laughs) will not die tomorrow because you got rips apart and you get septic and you die. Um, So tick, brilliant, celebrate. Now, the problem is, obviously, there is still your body is trying to tell you something. Yes. And that is then when the hunt really starts. So far, that was autopilot. It hurts. You go to the doctor. Doctor does the right examinations, finds nothing seriously wrong with you. Brilliant. Step one. Step two now. Okay, let's figure really out what's going on. Right. And that is a beautiful journey mm-hmm. if you if you let it be a beautiful journey. And let me let me clarify that. From now on or from that point onwards in your journey, there is no more clear cut path. So right. far there was a path going very clear, it was largely largely laid out through the forest, and now suddenly the path disappears. You could go right, you could left, you could go anywhere in the forest, uh, and there is no right answer. And that is that is where then, then people like you, Erica, come in and, and maybe be of assistance there. But equally, this path, as I said, there are, there are a number of things. Let me give you two examples. Um, one example is out of my past when I was a pain physician. And I had a lady who has had long standing, I mean, 20 years of tummy pains. And she had undergone numerous investigations, numerous operations. And he came to me just as a pain physician to just have another another opinion. And at that time, I uh, all my patients had to fill out a good ream of paperwork. Um, they, I really wanted to know everything from them. It would take you three quarters of an hour to fill that all out. She did. And one of the questions that is asked there, have you ever been abused? Mm. And the lady came and she had answered positively in that question. And she came in, she had, I think, her son with her from memory and sat down. And I started talking and, and, and in, in, uh, inviting her to share her story. And she stopped me and said, you know, you're the first doctor in, the, in my whole life who has asked me if I was abused. And I said, oh, um, I'm so pleased that, that you think you can share that with me, tell me more. And it turned out that her husband um, was very controlling, dominating, and that he would knee her into the stomach um, every time they had a fight. So that would leave no no marks, no, no witnesses, no evidence. Um, But that was a very dark part of her life until she separated. Needless to say, this lady did not need another investigation. She did not need strong morphine-like painkillers. She needed to talk about that. And Mm -hmm. just me asking the right question opened up the door to her and her realization and her herself allowing herself to admit to that link which she probably knew all the all the time along but it was just the right time for her to come out with those issues and right. actually finally deal with it 
That, yeah. that is an amazing example right there of how the body remembers hmm. and how the body keeps those stories current. It really doesn't, it really can't tell time, you know? Hmm. And um, we think that these things happen to us in the past and they should stay in the past, hmm. but the body will carry those forward. Hmm until it's given a chance to let them out. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she probably remembered those, those things happening. The body just keeps that, that mm -hmm. tension right there. It's just held as tension. Mm -hmm. You're so right. You're so right. And there are many other examples like that. And mm -hmm. in medical terms, um, if you really think along the psychiatric, so the disease of the mind road, then it is called somatization disorder. And that's typically, it's more common in, in women, where essentially they frequently complain about gynecological problems, they complain about headaches, they complain about bowel problems, this kind of holy trinity, so to speak, there. And typically when you investigate all these things, you don't come up with anything. And so it clearly must be in their head. Well, in actual fact, it is in their head, just not the way in the derogatory term that we want, mm -hmm. that we use that, that phrase, but rather is that there is something very different going on, that mm -hmm. there's often trauma involved, that there's often uh, a, a mental health problem uh, involved that is not being recognized, where the needs are not met, where the core beliefs of a, of a patient are so out of out of kilter with reality that that really the body says you've got to be joking and as you say it doesn't whisper it shouts right. from the yes. rooftops from that mm -hmm. rooftop there from that rooftop down there and mm -hmm. so again and again we see these kind of pictures in in uh appearing so in so many people around us mm -hmm. so it's and and i hate that word actually disorder somatization mm. disorder yes. no this is actually not necessarily a disorder can we just call it what it is that your body is asking for help that yeah. that there is that there's a message not being heard and that mm -hmm. maybe it is time to to listen up and actually say okay fair call it hurts maybe let's try to figure that out what is going on here yeah i'm i i hesitate i'm a little resistant to that word disorder as well i prefer I prefer the word injury, but I feel like if you label something a disorder, it makes someone, it puts someone in that patient category mm. rather than a participant in their, their healing process. I like, I like a lot. Yep. Very much so. The other story that I want to, to share with you guys is my own story. Uh, when it comes to uh, many, when it comes to pain, uh, I, I suffered myself. I had, uh, in my mid-40s, I had a nasty inflammation of my Achilles tendon. And, oh, it crippled me. I mean, if I walked thousand steps under excruciating pain per day, that was a lot. And I underwent classic therapy for it and, and experimental shockwave therapy. And it gave me a bit of function back, but it did change nothing on the pain. At round about the same time, I also felt chronically tired and run down. And I got in touch with Ben Boron, a nutritionist uh, who I've had on as a guest on my show. And I knew him and I knew his work and I had referred many patients. So I said, come on, Ben, I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is. 
look at me, take me apart, etc. And we did, I filled his reams of paperwork out and <laughs> he did blood tests, etc. Turns out I'm allergic to a good German breakfast. Good German breakfast means lots of bread, cheese, butter, eggs. Oh, yummy. I'm allergic to all of it. Aww. So, okay, um, I hated it, but I went gluten-free, went dairy-free, and, and basically steaks and salad for breakfast kind of thing. And, well, what shall I say? Two months later, my crippling disease that I had for 18 months, gone. My hay fever, mm -hmm. virtually gone. Mm -hmm. My shoulder injury from the past, no more issue. Um, amazing, amazing mm -hmm. change in my body. So mm -hmm. here were uh, allergies, food allergies yes. that played a role. But still, my body knew that something was wrong. And he tried to scream it from the rooftops. In this case, my nose, hachi, hachi. And, yeah. and the, the allergy is going nuts. And me not being able to work uh, to walk um so amazing and then i switched it more or less off by listening to my body mm -hmm. how amazing is that it is incredible but who would have guessed that pain in your achilles tendon would have anything to do with how you were eating breakfast mm. i mean like no one would put those two things together mm. and that's that's something that i think more people should know about like like there's we have all these intricate connections that don't necessarily make sense on the surface, but we are, we just are not equipped to make that connection. That's why um, I loved what you said earlier about having like basically no visible path, all different kinds of paths in front of you, yeah. but we need to be open to looking at different ways to, hmm. to move forward for yeah. whatever, in whatever way we can. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And you need to make a start somewhere. So yes. I think that is that is the thing. And and uh, why not work with a tissue approach? So and mm -hmm. and that was sort of the the way you started and yes. and got into it. So if we were to actually see tension in muscles and see why there are certain things that are happening, I mean that's that's where often tremendous change can happen. Tell us a bit about your first experiences there. How did how did you get hooked onto that belief system, onto that way of approaching the human yeah. body? Yeah. So I I first was sort of introduced to this working through the body to affect trauma and stress through my yoga certifications and um, some yoga workshops that were specifically designed for trauma-informed yoga. Um, and uh, my training is through Yoga Fit, and they offer a program called Yoga Fit for Warriors that is designed to help uh, veterans originally veterans and and PTSD, uh, uh, PTSD. Yeah. and they introduce a lot of different modalities within yoga to use as ways to release stress and one of those modalities was trauma release exercise which is nice. uh, the the introduction of a self-induced tremor it was designed by Dr. David Berselli and it's a series the the his program is a series of exercises that charge the muscles in a way that allow 
a really easy tremor to come out in the body that is, um, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? It's um, not a conscious tremor. It's not like you're shaking your hand. It would be in a relaxed state. He calls it a neurogenic tremor and the body just kind of starts to shake. Similar to what would happen to any mammal (laughs) after they escape some sort of um, life threatening (laughs) event, right? They shake it off, right? Or I don't, if you've ever ridden a a roller coaster and you step off the roller coaster, sometimes your, you know, your hands will just tremble a little bit, or you've, you know, almost had a car accident and then you're through it. And then the, you start to shake a little bit. Uh-huh. That is the kind of thing that people can access and allow the body to do in a really safe and controlled manner where you activate that response in the body and then you practice coming out of it uh-huh. and stop and rest and then go and you titrate that back and forth and then the body re it kind of reorganizes the the really deep vagal autonomic nervous system sympathetic mm-hmm. activation response so that when you're not in that when you're not doing that exercise and then you're exposed to stress later the body knows how to come out of it yeah. so you're not getting stuck in this activated state so i was living in an activated state 24 7 other people you know you it doesn't take most people, you're not supposed to stay there, right? We're brilliantly designed to uh, rise to the challenge, survive it, do what we need to do to survive, and then come back down to this social engagement where we can live our best life. But sometimes we, we get stuck up there, you know, get stuck up there for too long. Anything that is too much, too fast, or for too long is going to keep you in that activated state. And so when um, that, if you ignore it, if you ignore it, it still has to go somewhere. It tends to get locked in the fascia, in the joints, in the muscles. That's where that statement, you know, the issues are in our tissues, that thing comes from. So if it's stuck there in the body, um, we can use things like movement, like exercise, like the tremor and trauma release to let the body complete that fight or flight response that it maybe didn't get to do in the moment. And so when it does that, sometimes there's story that can come up in the mind when you're in that when you're doing those kinds of um, sessions. This is why sometimes in yoga classes, people will just burst into tears. So like it's a movement. Um, it doesn't have to be the tremor thing. Any kind of movement can can allow those things to come out. Sometimes you know what the story is that is connected with that emotional release that comes out in the body. Sometimes there's no emotional release. Sometimes you don't have a story that you know. And sometimes your story doesn't match what the body's story is. So there's all kinds of different, um, there's different options for the, that can happen for people. It's not the same for everyone. It's not the same every time everyone's an individual, right? Because we know that all of our events, our traumas are 
you know, uh, our history, we have that event, we have our experience of the event, and then we have the effect of the, of the event. And people can experience the same thing and have completely different effects from it. It could be the same event, different and, and response. the same event at different times yes. might actually result yes. in different yes. responses. Exactly. Different different times in your life, Correct. whatever it is, right? So so we could talk a little bit about what what causes those things like mm. like the ultimate source of mm. stress that turns into trauma and um what I found is that there's three things that are common to all of that. And the first one is uncertainty. Mm. There's some uncertainty about what's going on. The second is that there's a, a, a definite lack of control mm-hmm. and or lack of agency, like you mm-hmm. cannot get out, you're stuck in this event. And then the third one is isolation of some kind where you are either alone or you have no way to connect with someone mm-hmm. after, or there's a, 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 a some piece missing there. Those three things are common right? To, to events, any kind of stressor, whether it's acute or long-term exposure (laughs) to um, bad things, right? So you could apply any of those across the board. Mm. And what you have, what you have described here is the classical setup for PTSD. Um, These are, these are clearly things. And again, we are labeling things here, but Mm -hmm. essentially you use common sense terms to uh, to describe the same thing. So PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, they're originally named shell shock or, or you know, a number of other, other more colloquial terms for it. But essentially it is you have got an event that for that person um, is incredibly profound. That could be the extreme of literally being on the battlefield and having... having the, the very clear risk of dying and seeing atrocious things in front of you and next to you. Um, that could be a uh, another another threat that is perceived as literally to you, but for someone else, might not be. Let's say you're involved in a road traffic accident. There's some people who are, have been in horrendous traffic accidents, and they say, yeah, okay, yeah, my bi- my leg, oh yeah, that was bent this way there, and then you know, but it didn't really affect me too much because I was focused on other things. Boom. The same person in the same road traffic accident who might have a minor injury, just a, a sprained wrist, might have experienced the same thing, very very different. But the yes. hallmarks that you have just described uh, were all triggered, and suddenly this person uh, has entered a living hell of symptoms such as being constantly aroused, being constantly on the go, constantly mm-hmm. the need to control everything around you, the hypervigilance, the often flashbacks of the event or the, the poor sleep, the nightmares, these kind of hallmarks of PTSD. That mm-hmm. is what we are describing. Now, PTSD, once you're labeled out there and once you're sort of a beautiful mm-hmm. label and the extreme that's all quite nice. That's yeah. I mean, that's easy to recognize. The problem is the shades of gray, yeah. and that is really what so many of us have. We have got variations yes. of that. Yes. And don't recognize it, and mm-hmm. and that is, I think, where we are, where we really need to pay attention, 
because mm-hmm. there's there's so much trauma out there that can be mm-hmm. that. For example, mm-hmm. how many motor vehicle accidents are there in the United States? I don't mm-hmm. know the number. It, it's I can't tell you. But what mm-hmm. I can tell you is, for every severe uh, motor vehicle accident, um, the, uh, sorry for. The, the chance of you being involved in a motor vehicle accident or, or that is severe, the chance of PTSD is about 30%, one in three. So that's a hell of a lot of people that are running yeah. around out there unrecognized. And that was that example. What's the chance of PTSD after an sexual abuse? Mm-hmm. Um, tremendous, tremendous. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. how many women are being sexually abused and mm-hmm. men? So all these kind of things, there's so much trauma out there. And we yes. somehow think, oh, yeah, we're taking it in the gin. We're strong. I'm a strong woman. Now mm-hmm. I can lift it all myself. My ass, you can. And mm-hmm. it is, and that is, the, that is the problem. So this is what, what we're talking, isn't it? Yes, yes. And so here is the thing. When the symptoms that show up because they're so broad, right? We have all kinds of different symptoms and they don't all rise to the level of a clinical diagnosis of PTSD, right? Mm. But the major ones, depression and anxiety are very, very common. And not that when you experience uh, anxiety and depression, it's gonna last forever, but at some point in your life, a lot of people, fall into that category or can say that, yes, I have experienced Mm. depression. I have experienced anxiety and um, it may just be for a season or Mm. it may be, you know, for something long enough to get you to go in to Mm. be diagnosed. But because of that, one, one of the things that people recommend often for depression and anxiety is to go and exercise, Mm. (laughs) right. To Mm. go and work out And there's many, many reasons why it helps Mm -hmm. for people. But as a fitness industry professional, we don't get any training on on how to co-regulate with people who are walking into our room. Uh It's just an assumed thing that everybody walks in as healthy. Uh And guarantee you, every single person in that room is there for a different reason. And some of them are there to, to not feel what they're feeling. Mm. And so the exercise itself, the workout itself is acting as external regulation that is actually taking people out of their body because they're there because they don't want to think about what they're feeling in their body. They want to feel something else, mm. right? This is a classic um external regulation and exercise can also be used, be used as a drug, right? So a lot of people will use it to dissociate. So as, as an instructor, as a coach, part of our job should be to help people direct awareness in their body in a way that builds resilience rather than removes that connection or reinforces that disconnection, I should say. So, yeah. So that's where I was going with that. <laughs> Which is beautiful. No, you're so right. You're so right. But it is, it is teaching you to listen to your body, yes. teaching you to actually open your eyes and your mind to what the body is really saying. 
Um, mm-hmm. And if you are in pain, then maybe there is something that that your body needs to tell you, and maybe it's time for you to listen. But please don't be don't don't now think great. Um, I've been in chronic lifelong pain. And now I finally, when I start moving, I'm going to be so much better. I, it's going to be all cured. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a chance that it won't act like that, okay? Um, but could it be that you get tremendously better? Yes. Could it be that movement is a key ingredient in your path to recovery? Absolutely. Will mm-hmm. it be the only thing? Yeah, probably not, okay? Probably not. There's so much more then. Uh, you're actually just opening the door to your recovery. Yeah. You're you're yeah. starting slashing your own path, but uh, that path is is convoluted. It goes all over the show, and you you can't see around the next corner. So I I can guarantee you that once you start working with your own with your own mind, with your soul, with your injuries, with your trauma, uh, that mm-hmm. is an interesting story, and it, this will be unique to you. Yeah. Yeah. And the important thing I think for people to remember is to keep um, a real hold on what your intention is when you start to move. I think sometimes that gets lost or we pick an intention that doesn't really match what the body is looking for. Right. So um, intention matters. Your your the mind is so powerful Mm. And can affect a lot of physiological functions in the body, how you feel if you approach it the right way. And and instead of, you know, kind of cracking the whip with your um, internal dialogue, maybe the answer is to back off a little bit and try to find some um, positive mantras i mean that is the only word that's coming to mind right now or or um replacement thoughts Mm. that allow you permission to stop and rest when you are moving that allow you permission to actually practice listening to your body so I use that term a lot in yoga when i'm teaching yoga is to listen to your body But the next part of the sentence is most important, and that is to honor what you hear. Because if you're listening to your body and it's saying, I hate planks, and I'm cringing every time you do that push up, and I just, you know, everything in my body is, every cell in my body is saying no, and I ignore that, that is not that's telling my body that I don't trust it and it doesn't know what's best for it. And, um, you know, forget you, we're, we're doing those, we're doing that set of 100, whatever it is. And we're going to burn that many calories, but it's not that important. Really? That stuff is not that important. So how do you distinguish the, other voice in your head that says, no, actually, no, come on, it's not so important that, you you know, you really hate exercise. Therefore, it's okay not to do exercise. Uh, I have got that voice a lot. So. Yes. So there is definitely, you kind of have to have a come to Jesus moment 
Stefan. <laughs> no, there's, there's a, uh, there's a balance, right? We all need a balance yeah. and there's a balance in that discipline, the, the discipline of, um, uh, that of being able to be in your body with some discomfort and then knowing that it's not going to last. So, you know, these things are, this is a different conversation when you're talking about someone in chronic pain though, right? So we were talking about chronic pain. And so if, if someone is in chronic pain from a real injury, a real diagnosis, we treat that differently than someone who is, you know, who does not have any underlying conditions, right? So let's just be clear about that. I want to be very clear about that. So this is this, there is a big difference. So for, for me, there was um, years where I didn't cut myself any slack. I was kind of um, really wrapped up in this idea that I needed to hold myself to a higher standard and give everyone else the benefit of the doubt. But when you do that, you're, you're sometimes that standard gets so high, you can't even get there. (laughs) There's nothing you can do to get there. So, um, so, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things going on in the mind that makes nothing good enough. So you're just striving, 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 striving. There's a difference between that and Mm. getting a good workout. So when, when I tell people to stop working out, and start working in, this is what I'm talking about, right? What is your purpose? What is your intention behind your movement? So are you here to feel good in your body? Okay, that's going to take a certain level. Are you here to train for your next marathon? That's another level, right? Are you here to be an Olympic athlete? That's a whole other level, Okay, so it's about what your intention is. And if you are unclear about that, then it's going to be real confusing to more than just, you know, just your body. (laughs) So you can make those mindful choices about what you're going to do, but it doesn't have to it doesn't have to overwhelm your nervous system. And I would also say, speaking of that, as long as we are recovering the nervous system, doing actively recovering for the nervous system, we can still work out hard. Mm. You can still get a really good, hard, hard workout. Mm. But you have to include that recovery. So true. And that might take longer than you you like. Yes. It, than you, yes. you think is necessary. There are exactly. days when literally I, when I try to push. So at the moment, I'm trying to swim a marathon in a month. So really go out there, swim every day, or at least every other day. Now, swimming every day, I actually can't. My muscles are telling me, you've got to be joking. So I try to do every 36 hours or every 48 hours, do a bit of a longer swim. And that, that seems to be more sustainable with my, my body. I've tried, however, to push myself. I tried to push the body. And guess what? My body was screaming. And it, is, it, was, it wasn't pretty. And <laughs> if at all, I actually made things worse. This was not mm. sustainable. So sometimes it makes sense to push. And you can push. There's no doubt about it. But is that worthwhile in the long run? Or are you just pushing, 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 only then to have a more severe burnout, a more yeah. severe crashing down? And I think that is that is on the cards. That's where we we need to 
look at our body and our mind and what we really do in a more holistic way. And it, I know it sounds a bit corny, but I actually mean it. There is There are times when you need to lie on the couch and yeah. just say, nope, tonight we're not going to swim. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. There is a difference between surrender and collapse. Yeah. And um, I I find that surrender is a is a very sweet choice to make sometimes, mm. where you can just. But it ta- it takes it took me a long time to get there to be able to say on purpose no. For today, mm. it's okay to to just not do that. It's okay to not participate. Mm. It's all right. Nothing bad will happen. <laughs> it's all right. And that can be the first the first step on mm-hmm. the on a path to recovery in this case. Yeah. Because if you have been a people pleaser and mm. many of your problems have arisen from you always saying yes, taking on more, taking on more the moment you actually yes. say, no, tonight I will not train, then maybe tomorrow you will also quite happily look in someone's eyes and says, thank you very much for that opportunity. But right now, I, I honestly, I can't. Thank you so much. What do you and, mean? And, yeah, but but you're so good. You're so <sighs> wonderful in what you're doing. Come on, you can do another spin class. Get up at four. Come on. Oh, and my you God. Can I'm say, having a flashback, Stefan. Stop. <laughs> Please, we all have been there. People butter you up and say, because it fits into their their whatever reasons. And mm-hmm. you are saying, oh, yes, yes, yes. No, say no until your mouth bleeds. Okay, and sometimes is, that's the right thing. Yeah, you bring up a great point about finding balance, mm. right? To be able to balance your activity level. And, um, and, this is an interesting point for 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 those people who are working in the fitness industry or uh, wellness providers or or coaches or things like that, you know, high, even professional athletes. Right. So a lot of the things that we tell our clients to do for self-care are the things that we do all the time every day for our job. So for for us, our self-care cannot be more of the same things that we're already doing. Okay. Right. Provided you're doing it. I think that's the other thing to say. Sometimes we say, do as I say, not do as I do. Right. Uh, Exactly. Exactly. So so like for there was a point in my career where I taught and led 24 hours of classes a week. That is insane. We're talking like five hours of workout every day. (laughs) And, um, and, and, and I knew I was stressed. I was stressed and I was exhausted. I'm like, Oh, I need to do something for myself. So guess what I did? More workouts, more workouts. Let me guess. I thought I should start running three miles. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. And and that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. There's like, uh, you know, we should probably look at some marathons because that would really be good. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I am not claiming to be the smartest. Yeah, okay. In the room. <laughs> no, but it's it's so tempting because you yeah. know that exercise is good, so yes. therefore more exercise must be better. Of course. Yeah, about that. About that. Mm-hmm. That's actually if you look at a graph, um, and if you imagine no no exercise whatsoever. The risk of, of something going pear-shaped is really up there, really high. So coronary mm. events, strokes, etc. The moment you start doing um, doing exercise, it actually comes down. So now that you're doing a healthy amount of exercise, the risk of you something, something nasty happen is much, much reduced. Mm. Now you increase the exercise. Guess what happens? Mm. It goes up again here. Suddenly, you get sudden coronary events because you're mm-hmm. just overstressing your system this much that you come to yeah. to a level where you actually start killing yourself. So too little, not very clever. Too mm-hmm. much, not very clever. Mm-hmm. But what is that sweet spot? Right. And, and everybody has to find it for themselves. They've got to, you've got to figure that out for yourself. And, yeah. um, and a good coach can help you do that, you know, to, to just, mm. to yeah. test out everything. It's all just data points, right? We just experiment mm. with what's yeah. out there. What, what feels right. Absolutely. And, and I mean, let's let's give you another example out there. Things might also change for you. you so you are the same, the same girl and you were um, at a level of fitness and that's brilliant. And then Mr. Wright looked into your eyes and <laughs> then the birds, the bees, babies come and now you're still the same girl, but now you're hit with postnatal depression. Yes. And you're mm-hmm. saying, okay, I can do that. I go back to the gym because I was a gym rat before I mis- met Mr. Wright. And that's only three years ago. So come on. Not so much can have changed. Guess what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the intervention there and the support you needed there and the support you need here is probably quite different. May yes. I dare to say that? So yes. here you go. There are so many factors there, but you alone you alone to figure it out can be incredibly hard. And I guess that's that's where people like you come in, Erica, who have got uh, people who have got a, a knowledge level that goes beyond how a muscle works and how what's the best exercise regime to cut or to grow or to do whatever it is you want to do, uh, but rather to say, well, how does exercise can help you become a healthier and more beautiful you regardless of what that does to your body but what does it do to your soul what does mm-hmm. it do to your mind where does uh does exercise fit in you becoming the you that you deserve to be and i think that is really the key question isn't it not yeah. can you drop three kilogram or can i exactly. can i get my biceps <laughs> just a little bit bigger yes you can yeah. But it, it, there may be other questions that are more important to ask than <laughs> right. to answer. <laughs> that's true. No, that's, that's true. brilliant. Oh, Erica, I mean, it's it's amazing to talk to you about that. Uh, one question that I need to ask in the fitness industry: how many how many times are were you tempted to help yourself with a boost 
is there the use of of speed amphetamines um caffeine you you call it uh, caffeinated uh, i am highly caffeinated uh, answer I, I, me. yes i so, i am a caffeine junkie i will tell you that i did at one point use a lot of supplements for energy mm-hmm. they were at the time legal for mm-hmm. me yeah. um but they that was when ephedrine was legal and so I of course because I was always like operating up here wanted the the really high octane stuff and um I will say that in the beginning it was phenomenal and then it felt like I was strapped to the front of a freight train Mm. like being driven by something else. That's what that feels like. Um, And when they changed that, when that went, when that was no longer legal, I just was like, you know what? Nothing else is doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to cut that out. It was not something that I felt like um, I really should be doing. I really didn't like how I felt then. And, um, you know, I, I remember my daughter sitting at dinner one night and saying, mommy never smiles. And I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> like, something has to change there. So I, I paid attention after that. So. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very good. If you could send one message back to your former self, to the girl who was running 24 hours, uh, <laughs> who was running classes 24 hours and then went running. Um, yeah. What would you send back? That is a really good question, Stefan. What would I tell her? I would probably, first of all, it would probably be a question. And the question I would ask is, why are you doing this? Because that is a question I ask my clients now. What is your intention? What is it that you hope to get out of what you are doing? And is it working for you? And I, you know, I don't know, actually looking back at that girl, I, I don't know that she would have paid much attention to that question. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. However, oh, yeah. I would ask it. I would be like, why uh, are you doing this? Uh, oh, <laughs> but I could good. answer, you know, I, I could answer that as her. And the answer was, is really simple for people in the fitness industry. The only way to make more money is to work more hours. You can't really scale. You can't scale your business. So if you want to be a a professional, like you can't technically work full time. You can't teach 40 hours Mm. a week if if that's what you consider to be full time. Can't do that. So, uh, you know, in that moment, it was like if you want to earn the money, Mm. you need to work the hours. Mm. And so I was caught in that. My hope is that we can educate younger instructors and help them so that they don't have to do that because there are ways to build a fitness, a professional fitness business mm-hmm. that don't involve driving yourself into the ground. 
Brilliant. So there, you know, there are ways to do it that, that, you know, are sustainable, that are sustainable, that mm-hmm. don't require you to burn yourself out and that allow you to live your very best self. So, yeah. That's beautiful. It says, and that's from the word, uh, uh, sorry, that's from the mouth of a woman who has been there, done that, has got the scars um, of falling flat on her face. Mm-hmm. Um, and that these are the best scars because they leave you with a conviction to to share your story. They uh, leave you with with the need to make sense of it. And that's what you're, what you're doing nowadays. You're here trying to, to spread the word, hey, it doesn't have to be like that. Uh, it will be like that if you don't pay attention, but it doesn't have to be like that. And that is a beautiful, beautiful message. It's a message of hope. It's a message of, of actually, yes, you will be young, you will be stupid, and you will hurt yourself either here or literally there because you're going nuts and your body is just saying come on don't be stupid um mm-hmm. so yes overuse syndromes must be huge in the fitness industry yes um, yes no doubt about that no it's brilliant this was an amazing interview erica this is uh this there are a lot of things that we touched upon that are so important and uh this this link of Oh, there's so many things for crying out loud. It is. I was trying to summarize what we talked about, but I, by doing summarizing, I repeat the whole interview because it, there were so many golden nuggets in there. So, guys, um, I hope we were able to rattle your cage and to to make you think a little bit about why you do your exercise, what you try to achieve, and maybe rethink of exercise as a way of accessing those issues that lay dormant and hidden in deep inside your soul and which may uh, either have arisen from trauma um, or are somehow fueling a behavior that is now no longer sensible for you. It might have suited you when you were a survivor. It might have suited you in your 20s, 30s, 40s for reasons whatsoever. But the question is, you're struggling now, otherwise you wouldn't listen to that podcast here or watch that YouTube video. So congratulations to you. You are ready to actually listen to your body. And hopefully you're ready, therefore, to see what your body really needs and take active steps towards a resolution for that. And and thinking, well, how can you help yourself become a person that is serene, happy, content, and and has a smile on on his or her face, um, just so that you know you are, mummy smiles again. You know mm. that is uh, that was uh, you know that that sentence alone it's gold. Okay, and for that I thank you because at the moment I'm going through times where I'm very structured, very bang 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 bang. When was the last time? that I actually smiled naturally. Um, I probably can count that on, on one hand in the last week. So time to change that. So thank you, yes. Erica. You have actually, you actually made me think and reassess my own journey. There you go. Uh, Erica, if people want to get more in touch with you, if you want to know more about you, how can they do that? 
All right. Well, my online studio is Elemental Kinetics. So you can find it at elementalkinetics.com. And you will find links there to my podcast, The Work In, and uh, some some new upcoming things that I'm working on, a beautiful retreat for fitness professionals coming up in February. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but you can check out the details there. And if you are an industry professional or you're curious about a little bit about how to self-regulate or co-regulate with other human beings, which we are all human beings, um, there is a free guide on my website called um, Holding Space, and it helps you really kind of structure interaction to hold space with other people in a way that will help you both self-regulate that nervous system. So you can check that all out at elementalkinetics.com. Oh, brilliant. Erica, thank you so much for coming as a guest on my show. That was beautiful. uh, And I hope you have touched so many lives out there by just actually openly discussing the more or less taboo of of actually burnout uh and and um and and trainers actually getting into trouble themselves um but also we touched upon so many other connections between the gut the brain the the body are just so beautiful so guys delve into it welcome to the journey make this life worth living and start exploring so erica thank you so much for being here in my show Thank you, Stefan. And you out there, look after yourself. Bye.